It's the Americhips with Kim Monson. Now, while this is all going on, I went through President Trump's speech and uh, Chuck and Nancy's rebuttal. The most important story. The American people finally said enough, and that is why they elected Donald Trump. The latest in politics and world affairs. Britain's version of Medicare for All is struggling with long waits for care. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Because ideas matter. It's the Americhicks, dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Leslie, guess what today is. It's hump day. <laughs> so it's hump day. Hey, welcome to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where indeed we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. We need to be talking about these issues. The kids are coming home from college. You need to sit down at the dinner table and talk about the things that they are learning at college, also at, at grade school and high school as well. Something that is being pushed out there, we're seeing it from the the left, is that socialism is uh, their, what they're advocating for. You re- have to remember, socialism is force. It is taking over the means of production, you know, the things that make our lives better, such as, such as transportation, energy, water, housing, and uh, it takes it over by force. And whenever government gets involved in something, then the cost goes up, the supply goes down, and that's why you have, for example, in Denver, uh, affordable housing is, um, is something that a lot of people can't afford now is housing. And one of the reasons is is because of all the regulations that are put in place. So, again, socialism is force. And whenever government gets involved in something, the supply goes down and the cost goes up. So be sure to talk with your kids about that. Uh, Stephen Kessler, a frequent guest on our show, said to re- uh, he asks socialist liberals, three questions. Do you have any skin in the game? Are we bringing people up or are we yanking them down? And you felt good, but you did you did good. And I know that I'm continuing to repeat this, but we need to keep it simple because what happens when we're talking with people that are advocating for all these policies, they make it so complicated that people throw up their hands and they say, okay, government, go ahead and take care of it. And uh, then you, you get what we have uh, in Venezuela. So... Uh, let's uh, let's make sure that we keep the conversation going on that. I want to say thank you to producer Steve, Zach, Patty, and Keith for their support, their great work. And thank you to you, my listeners. Greatly appreciate you. So today, our inspiration, as uh, many of you know, tomorrow is the 75th anniversary of uh, the D-Day landings in Normandy, France, which uh, began the liberation of Europe from the evil Nazi control of Hitler. And remember, Nazi stands for National Socialist German Workers Party. And uh, remember, socialist is in that word. So this is what Franklin D. Roosevelt said. He, uh, President Roosevelt said, they fight not for the lust of conquest. They fight to end conquest. They fight to liberate. And that is something inherently unique about the American idea. And today's funnies, we're going to be talking with Randall O'Toole today regarding the Blueprint Denver, which it has socialism all over it. And it's a 303-page 
a plan on how to get you out of your cars, how to get you out of your personal home. And so we're going to talk a lot about cars today. So Steve, are you ready? I've got three little quips about cars. Go for it. Okay, number one. And I do love to sleep in the car. I'm not Okay. Wait a minute. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> but apparently I snore so loudly that it scares everyone in the car that I'm driving. Okay. <laughs> Number two, my grandmother had her driver's test the other day. She got eight out of ten, and the other two guys jumped clear. And I love this one. With the rise of self-driving vehicles, it's only a matter of time before we get a country song where a guy's truck leaves him too. Okay, we're going to jump into some headlines. Before we do that, though, you and I were talking in preparation about that there are some Republican senators that have uh, come out and said that they do not want to support Trump regarding these tariffs on Mexico. I'm very disappointed in that. Sometimes when you have bad things happening, you have to do some things that might hurt a little bit. Like, for example, uh, 75 years ago tomorrow, we had young men from the United States that went up on the beaches of Normandy to fight an oppressor. If you asked them if they really wanted to do it, the answer might be no. But they actually put up blood and treasure. Here, all Trump is asking is that we put some tariffs on some products coming in from Mexico until they do something to stop that influx of all of these people that are coming into our country. The cost that it costs every one of us as uh, American taxpayers is so significant. The cost of the crime that's coming in, the cost of the illnesses that are coming in. Honestly, I cannot believe that we don't have all Republican senators backed up behind him. What do you think, Steve? Well, ABC News and uh, USA Radio News both reported on this, basically, as you have already laid it out. And yet, strangely enough, you go to Fox News and it's not even there. I just get so discouraged uh, that uh, this government cannot see anything through to completion, that we will find ways to draw this out when something that is so plainly, uh, you know, right in your face needed. And I, I was telling you, I saw the a very neat map of the southwest United States, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Colorado, Utah, and the cost of uh, of illegal immigration to these states, a running total so far. And it's in the millions, hundreds of millions, and I think maybe Texas might have already crossed the billion with a B mark. You know, what's so disappointing to me is that when we had both the House, the Senate, and uh, the presidency in from 2016 to 2018, that we didn't have a plan ready to address this problem and get it taken care of. Also, we had promised that we were going to repeal Obamacare, and that didn't happen when we had control of that. And the American people, I think, are very, very frustrated with inaction in Washington, D.C. Inaction is the norm, where we've had politicians come out and say the things that we, we they know we want to hear, like solve this immigration problem solve these health care costs, but they really don't do anything to do that. And so here comes Trump, and he's addressing all of these different problems. And, you know, the, the veil's coming off that, that they're not really serious about working 
for the American people, which that's what they're supposed to do. They are not our elected leaders. They are our elected representatives. And they're not supposed to be lawmakers. They're supposed to make sure that they're they're putting in place policies that allow everyday individuals the opportunity to go after their life, their liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And whenever they do make a law, it needs to make sure that it uh, um, passes passes the test of uh, the Constitution. And that goes for all the way down to states and to counties and to cities. They need to make sure that any rule, regulation, ordinance passes the muster of the U.S. Constitution. So let's let's jump into here. So interesting. You know, we're going to be talking with Randall O'Toole from the Cato Institute regarding Blueprint Denver. And I, I, all I've gotten done so far is I printed it off. It's about, it's between an inch and a half to two inches thick. And just put that down on your table and then put the U.S. Constitution next to it. So this, it, all, what you can see is there's just c- control, control, control. But ultimately the goal is to get people out of their personal cars and out of their personal homes and into more collective uh, modes of transportation and into more collective uh, ways of living, such as these, uh, all these apartments that see you see uh, popping up all over uh, the Denver metro area. And Steve, it's important to note that when you are just paying money in rent, you're not able to create equi- equity. You're not cre- able to create wealth for yourself. And um, But yet these people are creating wealth for themselves because all these programs, they're getting paid big salaries, they're getting paid pensions, and um, so we need to get our brains around this. I saw a friend the other night, and uh, I, I brought it so that you have the visual, and uh, we agreed we're going to be reading that, and so we'll be talking a lot about that. But Randall O'Toole, was, uh, this is, is from Complete Colorado, and he had an article last week in the New York Times and it says that um, a New York Times, or, or no, an article in the Times last week has joined others in asking us to sympathize with the beleaguered transit industry, whose ridership has dropped every year since Uber and Lyft arrived on the scene. The article notes that Uber and Lyft, they subsidized through their investors the 5.6 billion rides they carried last year to the tune of 2.7 billion or almost 50 cents a ride. And they're subsidizing that with their own capital in hopes that these companies continue to grow and that, in fact, uh, they'll be able to make a profit. So, But just bear in mind, that's uh, investors that are subsidizing that because they think that ultimately these companies are going to become more profitable and that they will create wealth for themselves, about 50 cents a ride. But it says what the article doesn't say is that in order to carry 9.6 billion riders last year, and the other thing, I just want to dissect that just a little bit. When I was on city council, you would have um, staff that would come in and make presentations about the number of rides on the Southeast Light Rail Extension or the number of rides that they provided through the free shuttle service they, they had. And I said, so rides, does that mean, you know, to and fro? And because it seems like you're implying that you have 9.6 billion riders. And in essence, they said, no, it's it's whenever somebody gets on that train or gets on that bus. But I said, but typically they do a round trip. They go, well, not always. They might walk. So that's why we call it rides. But the implication is that it's 9.6 billion rides when in essence, if you're talking about actual riders, it's probably half that number. So it's a way to inflate 
in people's minds the effectiveness of transit. So anyway, what the article doesn't say is that in order to carry 9.6 billion riders last year, public transit demanded more than $50 billion in subsidies from taxpayers, or more than $5 per ride. In other words, transit subsidies per rider are more than 10 times greater than Uber and Lyft subsidies. And we shouldn't have to say this, but there is a crucial difference between ride-hailing subsidies and transit subsidies. The money that Uber and Lyft are spending is voluntarily given to them by investors who hope to eventually make a profit. Tax subsidies are taken involuntarily, force, socialism, uh, from taxpayers to support systems that as long as they are publicly owned, they will never come close to making a profit. Now, when I, again, when I was on city council, I was trying to get to these numbers of, of just how much of, um, you know, the, the actual fare was subsidized on the, like the light rail or, um, buses. And they said that basically the cost of operations is uh, only about 20% of that is covered by the, the fare that people pay. So in essence, you know, when you're riding downtown for a Rockies game, in essence, the real cost of that, if you paid the real cost of that, it would be about five times more. And if people really had to pay that, then in essence, they wouldn't use that. But you have all of these people that are, are working so hard to get you out of your cars and onto public transportation, out of your homes, into these apartments. We need to make sure that we're fighting back on this. And they're doing it through rules, regulations, t- subsidies, and ultimately we're going to start to see some force kick in with these this new rulemaking uh, from the executive orders from Governor Hickenlooper and Governor Polis that wants to get you into an electric car. But we're going to go to break. Before we do that, though, the Rockies lost to the Cubs last night. The second game of the series is tonight. In the NBA, let's see, game three of the NBA Finals between the Warriors and the Raptors. The series is tied one each, and that game is tonight. And then in the the NHL, the series between Boston and St. Louis is tied at two games each, and game five is tonight for that. And, of course, Hooters is the place to watch all these games, and it's the spot to be this summer. Enjoy Hooters beach-worthy seafood items like amazing fish tacos, delicious snow crab legs, and mouth-watering buffalo shrimp. Hooters has plenty of ice-cold beer options to help you cool down this summer. And I just love these specials. They have nine items for $9 from 11 to 3 p.m. Monday through Friday. Choose from nine delicious menu items such as fish and shrimp tacos, salads, cheeseburgers, Philly cheesesteak, and of course, their boneless wings, which I love. So you can dine in, you can get it to go, or deliver to your front door. And be sure and let them know that you know the AmeriChicks, and check out HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. We will be right back. All AmeriChicks sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. Social media is important to the AmeriChicks since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at AmeriChicks Twitter and Facebook pages. 
Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the AmeriChicks radio show. Contact us at AmeriChicks.com or email Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. And coming soon, Vino and Veritas in Northern Colorado. Know why you believe what you believe and be able to have conversations with friends, family, and colleagues. Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks would like to thank qualified listeners, veterans listening to veterans, brought to you by Dan Brooke and Cheryl Tootin in Centennial. In Castle Rock, Kim would like to thank Colorado Custom Services, promotional products, embroidery, engraving, and more. Thank you for sponsoring this fascinating study of the U.S. Constitution. Sign up today at AmeriChicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have these conversations. Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. Sign up for my emails. We'll keep you apprised of all the upcoming guests, topics, and issues. One of the things that's um, unique about my shows is I purchase my my time, which I love that because I have full editorial control on what we talk about. But in order to do that, I have valued sponsors, and uh, I really appreciate each of them. And one of them is on the line, and that is Jen Hewlin with Waters Edge Winery. Jen, it is so great. I, I so appreciate partnering with you. Well, good morning, Kim. I uh, really appreciate being a partner with you. You're not only a wonderful friend, but I think you're doing a great service to our community. So thank you. Well, and and uh, actually the Vito and Veritas, uh, you know, that was really kind of the three of us initially with Dr. Cranwitter and Bethany and Patty. And, well, I'm talking about kind of three di- different entities, you and your team and me and my team, to come together and create this Vino and Veritas. And it is so I'm learning so much, and it's so warm just to be with all these people that are so interested in learning about the Federalist Papers, which the Federalist Papers was written by John Jay, James Madison, and Alexander Hamilton to make the case for the U.S. Constitution. But I love the evenings there with you, also over in uh, Castle Rock with Colorado uh, Corkin keg and then uh, we'll be starting the one up in Fort Collins. But it's just a wonderful, magical evening when we're at Water's Edge Winery with Vino and Veritas. Well, you know, I will tell you, me and my team, we all really appreciate everybody that comes in. It's an opportunity for us to learn and um, spend time with people that are like-minded and think like us. And it's, it's just a breath of fresh air to see all of those wonderful people that care. They actually are interested in knowing our history and why we are who we are and how we got here. As the famous saying goes, if you don't know where you came from, it's hard to know where you're going. So well, and Jennifer, we certainly yeah. appreciate it. Well, and Jennifer, when you say like-minded, you know, we actually have people across the political spectrum. But when we say like-minded, that is the idea that everyday individuals can thrive and prosper. And so I know that we have, have uh, people, you know, Democrats, unaffiliated, and Republicans. So when we say like-minded, that's what we mean exactly. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not talking about Republicans or Democrats or liberals or or libertarians. I'm talking about people who care about history, who want to know more about it, who want to learn. 
and that understand the importance of our founding documents. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, for sure. And let's let's move over here. You're always doing some really fun things at Water's Edge Winery, which is right there in Centennial, kind of just west of University and just north of South Glen there on Arapahoe Road. But what are you doing for Father's Day? Well, I'll tell you, you know, after working for a long time in corporate America and having the opportunity to bring people together in a fun environment, um, as my winery, it's, it's all about having fun and doing things as a community, bringing people together. So what I have done is I've commissioned my chef, Demetrius, to put together a smoked barbecue all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, he's going to be smoking three different meats, salmon, chicken, and a pork butt. And we'll be doing a bunch of yummy sides, all made by hand. And uh, it comes with a glass of wine, and it's $30 a person. We are selling out tickets, so if people are interested, they can call us at the winery. Um, The number there is 720-381-6663, and you can make a reservation for you and your dad. Okay, and again, that number, and, and can people go to your website also? What is your website? They can. So our website is wewdenver.com, and that's Waters Edge Winery, Denver.com. And the phone number again is 720-381-6663. And what is the time? Um, the time is between 2 and 6.30 on Sunday. So Father's Day is Sunday, uh, June 16th, so coming up here in a couple weekends. And, uh, yeah, Dad loves wine. Don't let him tell you otherwise. It's it's good for him. It's good for his heart. Uh, That's for sure. Hey, Jen Hewlin, Water's Edge Winery, thank you so much, and I so appreciate your partnership. Thank you, Kim. Have a great afternoon. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to go ahead and jump into another headline here, and this is something that I've been watching. When I was on city council, I was starting to see this whole transportation, the socialism, socialism, well, becoming socialized, let me say that. Um, and uh, this was from the Colorado Sun. It says, a voluntary effort to speed up the availability of electric vehicles in Colorado has come unplugged. Now, that is one of the things I was down at the Capitol, and I saw some of those, uh, some of the uh, politicians and bureaucrats that were pushing for more electric vehicles said that there were not, and, and that we did not have the complete menu of ele- electric vehicles here in Colorado, and that's why they needed to use their force to push people into more electric vehicles. But so the automakers, they said, well, how about let's have a free market idea on this? They hoped that they could convince Colorado not to adopt these controversial zero-emission vehicle standards. And they were trying to do that by volunteering to make more electric vehicle models available in the state more quickly. But the negotiations hit a dead end on Tuesday. The Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers opposes additional regulations that would come with Colorado adopting California's ZEV standard. And last month, those automakers volunteered their own ideas, which included making all those models available by January 2020. But the uh, proposal arrived on April 29th, less than two weeks before the State Air Quality Control Commission, and I went down to that meeting, was scheduled to consider joining California's ZEV mandate. The commission voted to move forward and will begin the rulemaking process. And when we talk about rulemaking, they are going to be using force to try to get you into more electric vehicles. And my friends, this just really doesn't make sense. They say that it's going to be more affordable 
But yet you have Excel over the PUC asking to raise our electric rates. It's, you know, it's, it just is not going to work. So if you're going to create more demand for electricity, then in essence, the price is going to go up and it, it'll be less abundant for people. And, uh, and affordable and reliable, abundant uh, energy is what helps everyday people, you know, run their businesses, take care of their families. And so once again, we're looking at force and we're looking at control. And when that happens, the, the, uh, 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 supply will go down, the demand will go up, and so the costs are going to be more significant. And you mirror that with this state and Governor Polis. This is another uh, headline, if I can get to it. Oh, here. Yeah, this was in The Federalist by Ray Scott. said that Colorado's governor unmasked himself as an anti-energy extremist. And that's what we saw with Senate Bill 181, which they passed here in Colorado less than then three or four months after the people of Colorado voted down 112, and Senate Bill 181, in essence, puts in place what the people of Colorado voted down. And so, uh, again, we have an assault upon abundant, affordable, reliable energy. But um, we're going to go to break here in just a minute. Before we do that, Jason McBride, uh, the market had a rally yesterday, right? Well, it did, and it seemed to have a lot of fuel for it. Uh, number one, of course, was Jerome Powell, uh, the head of the Federal Reserve, uh, basically intimated that if the market got in trouble or if the economy started to slow because of the ongoing trade negotiations, that they stand at the ready to cut interest rates if needed. Boy, what a change from uh, just six, seven, eight mm-hmm. months ago, huh, Kim, right. when they are threatening to raise them yeah. to the ceiling. So that was, uh, you know, some some big fuel for the market. And then uh, I know you had mentioned some of the Republican opposition to the Mexico tariffs. Well, I don't like to see uh, pushback against the president and uh, those kind of things and in the party. The market doesn't like tariffs, so any any thought that that might not happen, well, the Fed was the fuel, and the discussion about that, I think, was like a little shot of nitrous added into it. So, yeah, big, big up day, 500 points on the Dow. Uh, those numbers are pretty eye-popping when you think about it. It's, it's not as big of a deal as it used to be, but still a good 2% plus up move on most of the indexes after some of the bad down days we've had recently is certainly a welcome, refreshing change. Well, you know, and people watch this, and I think that it goes down, it goes up, you know, and people can kind of get a knot in their tummy. But what what really matters is their own personal economy. And that's what you, Jason McBride, and all the fine people at Presidential Wealth Management help people with their own personal economy. And... uh uh, you know, and each individual is different. There's not a cookie cutter carbon or cookie cutter way to do that. And you guys will sit down and talk with people about their nest egg. You're right. And it's amazing how almost everyone's situation is a little bit different. Uh, everyone has kind of a different need or different quirks, I guess is the word. And uh, we're very flexible and try to work around that and really uh, nail down uh, the plan that's going to work best for that person. So for more information, go to chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com, and all the information is there as well as your podcast. So, Jason, thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great show, Kim. 
And when we come back, we'll talk with Randall O'Toole regarding Blueprint Denver, the, uh, the plan to get you out of your house and out of your car. We'll be right back. Dan Predovich and his team at Predovich & Company help your business plan ahead financially. The Americhicks with Kim Munson highly recommends Predovich & Company as your financial business consultant. Predovich & Company will take care of your tax preparation, bookkeeping, and business advisory services. Dan Predovich and his team want to learn the unique needs of your business through real, honest dialogue. Because of their advanced technological capabilities, Predovich & Company can help clients anywhere in the United States. Call 303-791-3000 to start preparing now for next year's tax season. Organize your business finances with Predovich & Company. Call 303-791-3000 today. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. Welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. I'm thrilled to be having a conversation with Randall O'Toole. He is my go-to guy regarding transportation, urban planning. He's with the Cato Institute. Randall O'Toole, welcome to the Americhicks. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Well, we were having a conversation. Something had come across the wire Oh, a few weeks ago regarding Blueprint Denver, and it is a plan that was passed by the city council, and there had been uh, an article that basically it said, uh, this was by Vincent Carroll, a former, one of the former editors at the Rocky Mountain News, that it looked like it was going to shut down single-family home development here in Denver. And at that point, I thought I needed to learn a little bit more about it. And so I uh, looked it up online and I printed it off. I thought I'd try to read it before we had a conversation. But you know what? It's about two inches uh, uh, deep to try to read this thing. But you said you were going to take a look at it. So, Randall O'Toole, what are your initial thoughts about the Blueprint Denver? Well, this plan has lots of pretty words. But what it really comes down to is Denver has decided that they want to capture as much tax revenue as they can, so they want to replace single-family home neighborhoods with multifamily neighborhoods. And that doesn't mean they want to tear down every single-family home in the city, but they want to put a lot more multifamily housing in every neighborhood in the city. They call this giving people opportunities for a wide range of housing, but what it really is is they're going to price single-family housing so high that more people are going to be forced to live in multifamily, even though they would choose to prefer single-family homes. And even if you can afford a single-family home, you're probably going to have neighbors in multifamily homes, which means there's going to be a lot more traffic congestion, a lot more noise, and a lot more issues uh, than if you live in a neighborhood of just single-family homes. Well, now you said the word replace. What, what does that mean exactly? Well, that means... Uh, they're probably going to zone some neighborhoods for multifamily, which means uh, with minimum density zoning, 
most zoning that most people are familiar with has maximum densities. It says you can have no more than four houses per acre or no more than eight houses per acre or something like that. But they're going to use minimum density zoning, which has been done before in Portland and Missoula and other cities, which means they're going to say no less than 10 homes per acre. So if you have a house and you're on a quarter acre lot, uh, you can keep your house, but if it burns down, you might not be allowed to rebuild it. You might be required to put in a duplex or a triplex or a quadruplex, depending on the zoning and depending on the size of the lot. And if your neighbor has a vacant lot uh, and they want to build a house on it, they might not be allowed to build a house. They might be required to build a row house or an apartment building or something else. And so you see neighborhoods that have been rezoned with minimum density zoning, quickly changing their character from calm, quiet neighborhoods of single-family homes to busy, uh, noisy uh, neighborhoods of, with lots of families, lots of multifamily housing. Now, really, you know, there's no reason why multifamily has to be bad, but uh, in fact, the, one of the differences is that 17 out of 20 single-family homes in the United States are owner-occupied, and 17 out of 20 multifamily homes are renter-occupied. So when you have multifamily housing, you have a lot more transients, you have people moving in and out, which means they have less uh, affinity with your community, whereas if you own your home, you're probably there for a lot of years, you build up relationships with your neighbors who are also there for a lot of years, and so you quietly know what's going on in the neighborhood and, and feel comfortable with everybody, whereas that isn't true when there's a lot of churn, when there's a lot of newcomers all the time. You never know somebody who is there, somebody who just moved into an apartment, or somebody who's thinking of breaking into your house. Well, and a couple of questions on that. In rezoning, it seems to me like that is changing the rules, changing the, the rules of the game in the middle of the game, if people purchased their their home and uh, the zoning was single family throughout that neighborhood, it doesn't seem fair to me that then government is going to come in and do this rezoning. Talk to, us, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, the funny thing is zoning was originally sold on the idea that if you had a neighborhood of single family homes, you could zone it and make sure it wouldn't be intruded by uh, multifamily housing or by industry, or, you know, the standard thing is you won't have a gravel pit uh, next to your house if you have zoning. So uh, homeowners and landowners accepted and welcomed zoning because they wanted to, they thought that what happened to their neighbor's property influenced their property values, and they wanted to protect their property values. So they like to have their, be in a zoned neighborhood. So then the planners come in and a few years later and turn around and say, okay, now we're going to use the power of zoning to completely transform your neighborhood because we've decided as an ideal that, you, that multifamily housing is better than single-family housing. And there's various reasons why planners have decided this, but most of them are wrong. And so uh, the planners deliberately want to change people's neighborhoods. Now, if you live in an area that doesn't have zoning, and it turns out in Texas, counties aren't allowed to zone. So if you live outside of an incorporated city in Texas, you don't have zoning. 
so what people do is they uh, form homeowner associations and write deed restrictions in their deeds mutually so that uh, they have effectively local zoning that the homeowner association decides on. And the homeowner association can change the zoning whenever it wants to by changing the deed restrictions with a vote usually of about 75% of the, of the uh, homeowners in the association. So zoning is something that homeowners like. If, if we didn't have zoning, we'd have homeowner associations and deed restrictions that doing exactly the same thing. So you're right, it is a betrayal of those single-family neighborhoods when they come in and say, okay, we're going to change your zoning to multifamily housing. Randall O'Toole, you mentioned that you think Denver is doing this for for revenue. Uh, So what? uh, there's higher tax revenue, higher property tax revenue uh, by putting these people in these multifamily homes. Is that what you mean? Yes, uh, uh, you know, if you have 10 homes per acre or 20 homes per acre, you're going to get 10 or roughly 10 or 20 times the property taxes as if you've got one home per acre. But really, the, the choice is between um, Dr. Cog, the Denver Regional Council of Governments, has an urban growth boundary around Denver and Boulder and all the other, you know, Broomfield, all the other towns in the area. And the choice is between relaxing that urban growth boundary and allowing more people to build single-family homes out in the suburbs or forcing more development in the city of Denver by keeping that urban growth boundary and, and increasing land prices throughout the area. And if, if land in Golden or land in Lakewood or land in Boulder cost as much or more as land in Denver, then developers are going to say, hey, we might as well just build apartments in Denver as build apartments in Lakewood or Golden because we can't find any land to build more single-family homes on. And so that's the choice. Expand the urban growth boundary or build higher densities within the boundary. And if you're the city of Denver, you want to go for higher densities because that means more tax revenue for you rather than tax revenue for the counties outside the city. Well, Randall O'Toole, the opportunity for Americans to own property, to own their home, has been, I think, a a real bedrock uh, of the American idea. And it's a way to create uh, create wealth. You you own where you live. You, as you mentioned, you have sense of community. You take, you know, typically pride in your property. Whereas, you know, it's more transient when it's in a, a renter type of situation. But we're pricing so many of our young people out of the market that they are being forced into these apartments, paying very high rents, and then uh, many of them still paying off student loan debt. And they're going to have a heck of a time trying to get to a point where they could afford a home. And I I think that that, the lack of that opportunity changes the fabric of the American idea. Well, to to some extent, you're right. You know, the interesting thing is that in the 1890s, uh, working class people in, in American cities were more likely to own their own homes than middle class people. Their incomes were lower. But home ownership was cheap, and they viewed a home as a source of wealth and a source of income. They could take in boarders. They could have in-home businesses without paying rent. They could grow vegetables or small livestock in their backyard, you know, goats or uh, 
chickens or whatever, and all of these would be sources of income. Middle class people didn't need that source of income, and so they didn't really care about home ownership initially. Uh, and then zoning and, and protective covenants were invented so that if you were a middle class family and you bought a house, you didn't have to worry about things that you didn't want next door. And so that increased middle class home ownership. So it's home ownership was really an immigrant's dream. It was Europeans who were denied uh, property ownership because almost all the land in Europe was owned by the aristocracy. So they came to America uh, in the late 19th century wanting to own land. Some became farmers, some moved to cities, bought land, built houses on the land. A house in Chicago in uh, 1880 or 1890 might cost $500, which was a lot of money in those days, but it was not prohibitive for a recent immigrant to be able to buy a house there. So. Uh, Home ownership became important then, and in, in the 1900, or in the 1900s, the 20th century, we, it became the American dream for everyone, for middle class, for working class, for all classes of people. And home ownership rates shot up. Uh, by 1960, we had the highest home ownership rates in the world. And today, we're in the middle of the pack. Uh, China, Brazil, Mexico all have higher home ownership rates than we do because they haven't put these kinds of uh, barriers to home ownership that uh, American cities have done. And that, that to me, is a tragedy. Well, and Denver, I think, is uh, trying to get this, this blueprint. I think they want it to be a template to go throughout the country. We're going to go to break. Uh, this is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. I am talking with Randall O'Toole. He is an expert on transportation and housing and urban planning. Urban planning. And so we'll go to break. We'll be right back. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect your private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Since losing her mother to breast cancer, Karen Levine has helped to organize a local fundraising event called Karen's for the Cure, raising money for breast cancer research. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson. So call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Come join the 88 Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person and children under 12 are free. Friday, May 31st through Thursday, June 6th, features will include Pokemon Detective Pikachu, Aladdin, and The Hustle. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on AmeriChicks.com. 
Welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. Thrilled to be having this conversation with Randall O'Toole with the Cato Institute. He is an expert on transportation, urban planning, housing, and we're talking about the Denver Blueprint. This was just adopted by the Denver City Council on April 22nd of 2019. It's about two inches. If you print it off, it's about two inches of all kinds of different things that ultimately it's got a lot of nice words in there, Randall, but it looks to me like a lot of power and force and control over people's lives. In the last segment, we talked about housing. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about transportation. Why do these planners want such such density in our, uh, our cities? Well, it's become an article of faith among urban planners that uh, land use influences our transportation choices. And urban planners believe cars are evil, and transit is good, and trains are good. And so, therefore, anything that gets people out of their cars and onto transit or on the trains uh, is a good thing. Now, how they come up with these ideas is difficult to say. Uh, cars use less energy per passenger mile than transit. They emit fewer greenhouse gases per passenger mile than transit. They are cheaper than transit, and more and more low-income people are buying cars instead of riding transit. More and more transit riders are wealthy people. Uh, the average, the median income for transit riders is now greater than the median income for, uh, for transit commuters is now greater than the median income for all commuters uh, for the first time in history because uh, transit is used mainly by the wealthy in many cities. I was just going to so say on that note, Randall, saying, oh, well, I was just going to say that uh, you are mentioning that there's more and more wealthy people that are riding transit. But quite frankly, everybody else is paying for that uh, that ticket because uh, their fare only covers about 20 percent, 20 to 25 percent of the actual cost of uh, operating costs of these transit systems throughout the country. That's exactly right. And. Uh, you know, the subsidies to transit are just gigantic. We, we spend over $50 billion a year subsidizing transit. Now, we also subsidize roads. I think we should end those subsidies. But the subsidies to roads are about $60 billion a year. It's more than transit. But roads move almost 90% of all of our travel. Airlines move about 10%. Transit moves 1% of passenger travel. Roads also move about 30 to 40 percent of all of our freight. So here we have roads that are moving hundreds of billions, really trillions of passenger miles a year, plus uh, billions of ton miles of freight a year, and the subsidies to them are about the same as the subsidies to transit that move uh, a few billion passenger miles and zero ton miles of freight per year. So it's Uh, gigantic subsidies to transit. If if you ride transit, at least three-fourths of of the cost is subsidized, whereas if you drive on a road, uh, 98 to 99% of the cost, you're paying yourself. 
and subsidies are only covering about 1% or to 2% of your cost. And just a quick question on that, because, uh, you know, the, the gas tax was put in place to uh, go towards our roads and bridges. And you mentioned that roads and, roads and bridges are being subsidized. However, when I was on city council, I started to realize that uh, um, planners and politicians and bureaucrats were shaving money out of that gas tax money for transit. So if you actually kept that fuel tax whole, would that almost pay for all of our roads and bridges? Unfortunately, no. Uh, Basically, the gas taxes are mostly collected by the states, and they pay for state highways and mostly cover the cost of state highways. There are very few subsidies to state highways. But city and county roads don't get their fair share of gas taxes. The states give some to the cities and counties, but not enough to pay for city and county roads. And so city and counties use other taxes, primarily property taxes, to pay for uh, local roads and streets. And what you see is in places like Denver, they say, well, we could maintain the streets or we could build another light rail line. So let's build a light rail line and let the streets crumble. Uh, And we're seeing that in cities all over the country. The streets are getting in, in terrible shape. You know, we hear about crumbling infrastructure, but it's mainly because we're not paying for that infrastructure out of user fees uh, like we do with the state highways. Okay. Let's, uh, let me get back to this. This is uh, great information, but we were talking about planners uh, wanting to get people out of their cars and put them into transit. Uh, what else do you find in the blueprint, Denver, uh, regarding that? Well, planners think that higher people living in higher densities are less likely to drive and more likely to ride transit or bicycle or walk. Uh, and, and they base that on a rather mistaken uh, series of studies. If you go interview people who live in high-density housing next to transit lines and say, how do you travel to work, you're going to find a few more of them taking transit to work than people living in single-family homes. But it's not because... The fact that they live in high-density housing leads them to take transit. Instead, it's because they decided they wanted to take transit, and so they chose to live next to a transit line in high-density housing. That's called the self-selection issue. And uh, uh, an economist from the University of California, Irvine, uh, named uh, Brownstone, looked at the issue, and he said, once you take self-selection out of the equation, the effects of density and and housing on transportation choices is too small to be useful to influence congestion or pollution or greenhouse gases or energy consumption or any of the things that urban planners say they want to do. So urban planners want to have density to get people to ride transit. They want to subsidize transit to get people to live in density. Uh, And we end up with subsidies on top of subsidies the reality is transit uses more energy than driving. And guess what? Multifamily housing uses more energy per square foot than single-family housing. It also costs more per square foot to build, especially if you get into four- and five-story buildings that you're see, seeing spring up all over Denver. They tend to cost three to four times as much per square foot as a single-family home. And, and high-rise buildings can cost up to seven or eight times as much per square foot as a single-family home. So when we say we're going to build multifamily housing, what we're really saying is we're building expensive housing. And if you want to get a home for uh, 
$300,000, you're going to have to accept a, a 1,000 square foot apartment rather than a 2,000 or 2,400 square foot home with a, a nice lot around it. Well, and the other thing is many of these uh, planners and bureaucrats and politicians that want to get people into these little boxes and riding around on trains and bikes and buses, they actually, those bureaucrats and planners and politicians live in single family houses, many of them, and ride around in their cars. So they just want to get everybody else off the road. We only have about three minutes. And something that we just saw in the news headlines out here in Denver is these planners want to want to have a train from Trinidad to Fort Collins right here in Colorado along the Front Range. What do you think about that, Randall? Well, I love passenger trains, uh, and that's why I wrote a book called Romance of the Rails that looked at passenger trains and concluded that they're really neat to look at, but they're way too expensive. They're basically obsolete. Uh, Passenger trains, even in Europe, only carry about 5% of travel uh, in Europe. Most people in Europe don't ride them, uh, and so they really make no sense in modern society. Freight trains are great. Freight trains save a lot of energy. They're cheap and so on. But uh, passenger trains simply are, are no longer a viable form of transportation. So this is all part of the plan. We pack people into dense housing. We put some train stations up. We build a train line. We subsidize the housing. We subsidize the train line. And we end up with subsidies on top of subsidies. And yet the people living in that housing still drive to most of the places they go. It doesn't work. We should stop wasting our time and money on these kinds of plans. So last question, where does this all end, Randall O'Toole? Um, Unfortunately, uh, you know, right now the Trump administration is firm holding the line against spending federal tax dollars on these kinds of programs. But eventually we're going to end up uh, either in 2020 or 2024 or 2028. Eventually we're going to have a Democrat in the White House again. And Democrats seem to be sold on the idea that collective transportation is better than individual transportation, that multifamily housing is better than single-family housing. And by packing people into multifamily housing, they can enjoy their estates better than uh, if uh, they have a a lot of neighbors crowding them in single-family homes. So um, we need to hold the line until we can somehow finally convince Democrats as well as Republicans that uh, these uh, archaic notions of packing people into dense housing and onto collective transportation just don't make any sense today. Okay. Randall O'Toole, I tell you, it's always a great conversation to have with you. Where is the best place for people to find all of your your writings and your books and all? Well, I have a website called The Anti-Planner. If you just Google Anti-Planner, I'm the first thing on the list. And I've been posting a weekly series of policy briefs of data Uh, about transportation issues, and I'll get into housing issues pretty soon. Uh, From the anti-planner, you can click on Cato Institute or other groups and see all the papers I've written for those groups. Uh, I am a Cato employee. You can go to the Cato website and find my papers there as well and books. Okay. Well, Randall O'Toole, thank you so much. And uh, we'll have to continue to talk about this uh, two-inch deep Uh, Blueprint Denver that is wanting to control people's lives. So, Randall O'Toole, thank you so much. Thank you. And our quote for today is from Henry Ford. He says, I will build a car for the great multitude. It will be large enough for the family, but small enough for the individual to run and care for. It will be constructed of the best materials by the best men to be hired. 
after the simplest designs that modern engineering can devise. But it will be so low in price that no man making a good salary will be unable to own one. That's Henry Ford regarding the Model T. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America. And I don't want no one to cry, but tell them if I don't say.